Welcome to 7 Things EMS, a continuing education offering from Limmer Education. 7 Things EMS is designed to give you what you need to succeed in EMS. It's conversational, informational, and without the fluff. All right. Seven Things uh, EMS Podcasts is here with a very special episode. The Committee uh, Accreditation of EMS Programs has a big announcement to make. We are thrilled to be part of the release uh, of that announcement. I'm Dan Limmer, your host, and we're joined. Uh, our special guest is Dr. George Hatch, the Executive Director of COA. And I'll do a quick introduction so we can get into this. The hallmark, really, of the seven things is getting right down to it. Uh, George has been in the EMS. Uh, biz for about 46 years, uh, first as a street paramedic, as a program director in the Houston area, and now, of course, as the executive director of COA now for 17 years. So welcome, Dr. Hatch. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here with you today. Well, let's, uh, our policy is to jump right into it. You have a big announcement to make. Why don't you tell me what that is? And I think we'll roll pretty quickly into uh, point number yeah, two. I think, uh, I, I think we're really pleased to release uh, the survey results that we just got back with regard to programs around the country deciding whether or not they want to adopt voluntary AEMT accreditation. And I think that's really the, the juice, right? I mean, that's really the, the, the meat of the discussion. And, uh, you know, we're really excited about that. So that's what uh, drove you here. And the thing is that uh, COA, the board meeting you just had in Oklahoma, uh, the executive board and the, the board of directors gave the thumbs up for this accreditation. Well, we've been, we, thanks. That's a great, that's a great segue. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the point about voluntary AEMT accreditation is that it's really been on the, it's been on the back burner for a couple of years. And this goes back to 2018 when the committee that was working on the revisions of the national EMS scope of practice was meeting um, they had been doing some work for a couple of years. Their report out session, uh, I got invited to in Washington, D.C., and um, they asked about, hey, if we put voluntary accreditation at the AEMT level in the document, is this something that the COA and KHEP, uh, who is the programmatic accreditor, is this something that you guys could do? And the answer that I gave them was, well, we'll just have to see. So I took it back to our board in 2019. Uh, we discussed this. I was tasked and our staff was tasked with putting a work group together, which we did that included our staff and members of the board. And uh, we had one meeting. We had that meeting in 2019. And then uh, we had, you know, some nuggets that we were working on that we felt like, okay, we've got a little bit of traction on this. And then the world shut down in 2020. We had a, you know, worldwide pandemic. Everybody's very well aware of that. And over the next two to three years, we've kind of rocked along, um, mostly worrying about keeping the educational pipeline open for EMS. And this was not really on the, on the, on the front burner at all. Um, we kind of got back on track with this. It's part of our strategic plan uh, previously and also in our current strategic plan to look at this level. Um, and we did that. We had another meeting earlier this year, a two-day, two-and-a-half-day meeting in Dallas. and. Um, Again, members of our board, members of our staff looking at this, we brought it back to the board and the board said, hey, uh, we've got a timeline. Let's 
Let's put this out there, gauge the interest. And again, Dan, I want to I want to emphasize that this is voluntary. This is not something that um, people are going to be forced to do. We I know we'll talk more about that. But we conducted a survey with the help of the National Registry. They provided uh, in, from their database. They provided across the country where are AEMT programs being taught and tested. And those were the survey uh, participants that we reached out to. We launched a survey. We got those survey results back. And I think that's what we reported out to our board over the weekend uh, or this last week. And uh, they said, okay, let's release the survey results because people took the time to to fill those surveys out, send them back in, and we want to report back. And I, and I think the the news is actually quite positive. It's really, really positive about what people think. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it is. And I think it's important for the listeners to know that really what you're saying from 2019 and the pandemic and uh, really progress in EMS, first of all, takes time. But this has been in the works uh, for a while and not just a you know, sudden idea or anything else. And the fact that you said it's voluntary, I think when people uh, hear this, they, they really need to, to know that um, as it goes on. Now, the, that's our second point that it's been in the works. But number three in this, we're, we're going along a little fast. I think there's a lot of excitement in this. And I want to talk about that survey in uh, number four, because I was fascinated by the survey. And we're going to include that in the show notes for people to look at. It's a, you've told me it's a public document. It's out there. You have a level of transparency that is important, I know, uh, uh, from you. So um, this is just a, this is a really great conversation. Your point three says paramedic and AEMT accreditation are different. And I know, I mean, I was around back when the registry made the announcement. I think it was 2012. We had to get everybody uh, paramedic accredited. And that was that was quite a process. But this is different, apparently, in a number of ways. So tell me, paramedic and AMT accreditation are different. Tell me why. First, great. Again, great question. Um, I think I think they're different because we're, we're at sort of different inflection points, right? This this process of accreditation and the COA actually goes back to the uh, you know the mid or late 1970s. This group was chartered in 1978, and they put you know some really smart people with a lot of different national EMS organizations started thinking about this back in the late 70s when EMS was first starting. It helped. I didn't even know about um, uh, KHEP or paramedic accreditation back when I was going through EMT and then even paramedic school. So this has rocked along at the paramedic level since 1978. As you mentioned, the registry uh, working with NASEMSO and all of the national EMS partners, you know, took the temperature of this at the paramedic level for a number of years. And it wasn't until 2007, coming out of the NASEMSO meeting, um, where, you know, basically all 50 states and five U.S. territories were saying, okay, if we're going to require this, we believe this is where we will be in this number of years. And so it took a lot of time for people to be able to change up state rules and regulations and laws to kind of get all of that going down the, you know, the similar pathway. Um, and, and there were some seminal documents that were out there talking about that, but, 
But at the time, the registry took that information and they said five years from now, right? They set a marker five years out from that time in 2007. And they said at that time, we believe you, you guys in the national EMS community can have your paramedic program accredited or in the process, right? And so what's different about that from the paramedic level is um, there was really a call for this. There was a mandate for this, right? And the national EMS education standards, the scope of practice, um, all of these documents sort of spoke to that, you know, trying to move paramedic education forward. And I think what's happened over time, at least how I see this a bit differently, is we've got more information. The AEMT level, as you well know, is not well, um, uh, it's, it's not well utilized in many places in the country. AEMT, uh, you know, work in the classroom, I think, is kind of fragmented. I don't know that everybody utilizes it. I don't think that people necessarily understand it. Uh, you're in the teaching business just like I was. Uh, we, I had very, you know, our, our program had great success with the AEMT level. It was used, but it was not used um, by everybody. And, and I think that, again, um, at the AEMT level, people need tools to be able to improve the educational outcomes. And I think what we're seeing from a national perspective is folks, you know, that are graduating from these programs have a very limited possibility in some cases that they're going to pass the test. And that's not good for EMS. That's not good for their community. Uh, that's not good for the folks that are that are going to be receiving that care. Uh, we want them to go through a solid paramedic, uh, an AEMT program and come out on the other side able to deliver care at that level. So I think what's different about this is it is, in fact, voluntary. There's nobody telling you, hey, Dan, you must graduate from an, uh, from an accredited AEMT program. But what's different for us, I think, is we have the tools, we have the experience, um, and, and I think that the process has proven to be effective. And I think what it's going to show on the other side of this is we, as we roll it out and we measure programs that submit themselves to this, I believe that it's going to show their pass rates are going to improve and that they're going to have better results. And I think that's really what it's about. All right. Well, let's, <clears throat> I, I think that was, that was uh, perfect. Point number four, uh, survey says uh, programs in favor uh, of a programs are in favor of AEMT accreditation. And like I said, I've got on my other screen here, your survey up. I think it's really a great time. And I think people are listening. Want to know what's going on. This, again, wasn't done in a vacuum. So tell us about the survey, the number of people overall. You told me that uh, the registry provided uh, some, some information on programs. You put a survey out there. Let's talk about, first of all, the scope of that survey, how many people, how many responses, and then we'll get into some of the guts yeah, of it. Thanks. Um, you know, again, cooperating with the National Registry on this, we were able to identify over 530 AEMT programs or places where AEMT is being delivered and tested um, based on those on, on those metrics that the, that the registry had. So we sent out, uh, with, with the help of, of our staff, we sent out over 500, probably 530 surveys, and we got 317 responses. So over 300 responses came back, 44% response rate 
I don't know about you, but when, when I talk to people about surveys, and I know this in, in my own work, most people don't fill out surveys, right? So to get something that's over 15, 20, or even 25% says a whole lot. So we got a 44% survey uh, response rate, um, and, and I'm looking back at the numbers. We actually had 721 surveys that were sent. So we, we I'm sorry, we identified some additional programs with the help of some CDMS offices that, that maybe were not lumped in there with the registry. So actually 721 invitations were sent and we got 317 responses. So again, I think the results of that, 300, 300 surveys that came back, 65% of the respondents believe voluntary accreditation at the AEMT level would potentially improve and benefit their program. And of those, 59% said they are likely to seek voluntary accreditation. I got to tell you, that was a wake-up call for us. I mean, we had no idea uh, over the last several months, and certainly as we talked about these results at our board meeting this past week, we had no idea that people were going to be, um, you know, this, this positive. And I, and I really do look at this as positive, but it really starts to raise um, the level of, uh, you know, how are we going to be able to meet that requirement, right? We're already doing this for nearly 800 paramedic programs, but how is that going to roll out as we do this maybe a year to 18 months from now uh, if people really embrace it? So I think that's, that's big. I think that um, half of those respondents, I would tell you, are from accredited paramedic programs. Now, in your previous life, not so long ago, you were teaching in a paramedic program and you offered both the paramedic and you offered the AEMT. And not everybody is always going to go on to paramedic. Some people are going to stay at that AEMT level. But I think what's interesting about this is that of those programs that responded, not all of the paramedic programs are offering that pathway, right? They're teaching paramedic, but they may not be teaching AEMT in their community. But of those that responded, you know, we want to make that accessible for them. We want to make that easy for them. We don't want this to be a burden to add this on. If we were to do this, you know, we're, we've got to calculate what's going to be the cost that goes along with that because people are going to want to know, right? What's it going to cost me to add this on? How much extra work am I going to have to do in order to maintain uh, the accreditation standards at the AEMT level? Because I'm already doing it here at the paramedic level. So, these are questions that I think program directors, new as well as seasoned program directors, are going to have to ask themselves. But um, that was really, really positive, though, to see that many of those program directors are somewhat or very likely to pursue AEMT accreditation if they're given the chance. And then finally, I think the survey is the first real time that we've measured an interest in voluntary AEMT accreditation. There's nobody talking about it. Um, there haven't been talking about it, but there's an indication, in fact, a very strong indication that AEMT program directors are going to be ready to take that next step. And we're really, really excited to work with them. Um, again, I think you and I could talk a little bit more about what those survey results look like, but there's a lot of folks, not just in urban and suburban areas, they're out in rural America, in all of our states. That's where some of that AEMT accreditation, uh, excuse me, AEMT education is taking place right now. Well, it looked like a, you know, about three quarters of the people uh, identified that they served a rural community, 
And one of the things that people say is that, you know, rural communities uh, doesn't have the people, they don't have the time or whatever. But looking at the survey, the, some of these rural communities, I think, really are reaching out uh, for some of the quality. And among the programs you surveyed, uh, over 90% were actually teaching AEMT classes. I came from uh, the EMTI into AEMT. And back in the EMTI, there were, you know, 40 or 50 different iterations and definitions of what an EMTI or an AEMT was in different states. And I think that the people that need AEMT sometimes struggle with it, but it looks to me like they're reaching out and part of the group that's potentially accepting uh, this concept of voluntary accreditation. Yeah, I, I, again, I think folks that are that are doing AEMT accreditation, excuse me, education, I keep saying accreditation, but the AEMT education really are in some cases under-resourced. So what does this do? I mean, the accreditation process is really about going in and looking at the resources that you have to be able to support your education program. And it's really a quality improvement process. I, I would say this, and I'm going to tag on to something I think you said, but um, the fact of the matter is AEMT accreditation would appear to be very fragmented across the United States. It's not the same, right? And when you're looking at the results that the National Registry is publishing and you look at our state right here that I live in, in Texas, publishes those results, right? They look at all of the levels and they publish the results of those uh, um, students that are taking the exam based on, based on the program. And I would just tell you, not just in Texas, but in other places everywhere, um, you got maybe a 50-50 shot of passing the test. Now, some places are doing it, seem to be doing it very, very well. What's the secret sauce? I don't know what the secret sauce is, but some folks are doing it very, very well. Other people would appear to be struggling. Well, let's... And, and I think what I would say to you is, um, you know, they're, they're looking for those resources. They want to make their, their programs better, right? And I, I think they're looking for what are the tools, what's that secret sauce that I could use in my community to make my, my educational program better. That's, that's what I hope the accreditation process is going to bring to the table. You know, you're uh, looked at uh, number five, uh, our point is that AEMT needs help nationally. And you had mentioned about a 50-50 pass rate. I was at a credit con uh, in May, um, really an, an outstanding conference and gathering of really uh, dedicated educators. Uh, it's, a, it's a great conference. I'll put in a shameless plug for it because uh, you'll be in uh, Oklahoma. I know you'll you'll be in Oklahoma City coming up uh, this year at the end of May, first part of June. And I think it's a great opportunity. And there I was, my eyes really were opened when you said that the pass rate nationally, I believe was 2022, was about 50%. So we have a we have a level of certification where every other person that walks in appears to walk out and not succeeded and that's an issue right our education i think really needs help that's what your you know aemt needs help uh, nationally i'm going to just say one more quick thing i did a tiktok video about aemt and mentioned coe's statement about the pass rates and people make comments and say why do they make the test so hard? Why do they write it in language we don't understand? So this morning I did a TikTok back that said, why are we blaming the National Registry 
when we have educational programs that aren't stepping up to the bar that's being set. I don't think anyone thinks that going out and being an EMT or even an AEMT, when we take advanced skills, advanced decision-making, advanced assessment, right, and do that, why are we blaming the registry when I think we can bump up the education? And I think we may kind of cross streams here in, in number six, that the value that you bring uh, into uh, accreditation programs, but AEMT really does need help. It needs resuscitation uh, around the country. Yeah, great point, Dan. I, I, uh, I think as, a, as an EMS uh, lifer like you, uh, and, and as a professional educator, um, I, I would say this. I think, you know, we have to look at ourselves introspectively and say, is this really the students that are coming to our classrooms in some cases, not actually the ones that are prepared or are we contributing to that as well? And I think that makes your point that, you know, AEMT uh, education needs, it needs help. And I think what I learned in my role uh, previously is that paramedic program director that was teaching that level is we were really teaching a lot of pathophysiology that, you know, when you look at that level, uh, AEMT is not just, it's an extra added skill or skills that's, that's added on. Although, yeah, certainly there's, there's more stuff for them to do, but there's a lot more knowledge. There's a lot more stuff that you have to know in order to understand why you're doing something. It's not just how to do it. Technician, right? Um, the advanced EMT um, is, is, are we looking at ourselves as a technician or are we looking as a, at ourselves as a practitioner? And I, I, I would say this also. I think that the pandemic, as people look around, we're in this workforce crisis, right? It's not just an EMS, Dan. You know that yourself. It's in all aspects of healthcare. It's in all aspects of life. People, there's just not as many of us all of us to to perhaps do the job, but I think the pandemic, you know, brought really you know kind of in our face. How are we going to get more EMS professionals at whatever level? How are we going to get them out there taking care of people when the call when the call goes out on nine one one to respond? What's going to happen? And and I think in some communities that advanced EMT might be a bridge to. Uh, at least a short bridge for people to step up from the EMT level to an advanced practitioner, and then eventually, if they have the time and the and the the inclination to do so, to go on and become a paramedic. So I I think it's a real opportunity for people to do that, as opposed to wow, um, it's it's just you know it's an extra rocker that I'm going to put on my uh, on my uh, my sleeve. Well, I think that's a mindset that goes, you know, you, we, we were around, you know, all the rockers, you know, we'd go around looking like General Patton with all the rockers we could put on things. But uh, the truth is, is that I'm, I'm personally a believer in AEMT. I do believe it can expand uh, systems. I think the toolbox that the AEMT is given is probably much more robust than people realize in what really uh, can be done in the system. And I think that it is uh, an important part. Now, depending on where you are in the country, you know, we look many times, we say, well, you're an EMT, there's paramedic, we have AEMT in the middle. Our, our designations and the way we look at ourselves as a profession could probably be another entire podcast. 
But I think the AEMT, besides those things, the person who doesn't really know if they can go on and be a paramedic and they want to try this first, the person who can't afford the education, but wants to give more to their system going back, the person that wants to take a little bit longer and learn through that. There's a lot of different reasons I've seen for people coming through and taking uh, AEMT. When I do my AEMT classes, I always start the first exercise. I give everybody an index card. And you may have seen this uh, being a National Registry Examiner in Galveston. I say, what are the three differences between an EMT and an AEMT? And people generally write, well, I can start IVs and I can do advanced airways and, you know, I don't know, cooler patches. They they often (laughs) don't think about things. So the last day of class, I give those cards back and I say, how do you feel about that now? That we've done deeper pathophysiology and differential diagnosis and critical thinking and scenarios and talked about shock and other things at a greater depth. And quite frankly, medical emergencies really is where the toolbox for the AEMT applies. And that, you know, I go through and do that. So I guess that I'm just echoing some of what you say about the value of the AEMT and why people do it. And it's not something that should be looked down on. And I hope that this work by uh, CoA um, makes a difference. I'm looking at your survey right now. Which of the following potential benefits of accreditation would be most valuable to your program? And choose three, right? So we have established standards that ensure high quality education. Boom is a big one. Uh, Continuous quality improvement. Boom. Meeting national standards, boom, we've got easy ones. But what's really interesting and some of the things that I'm surprised at are effective uh, and safe learning environments and enhancing healthcare outcomes. Mm -hmm. I think a certain part of that, especially the last one, shows how separate we are from the big picture of the system, how much we are part of the start of that healthcare system and how we affect outcomes and things like out of hospital cardiac arrest and, you know, pain and disability. Um, and COA being part of KHEP, we know that other allied health programs are being accredited. Um, and paramedic is, I think AEMP, we're going to push it in a good direction by doing this. Sure. I, I Again, I think that speaks to sort of going into that sixth point, Dan, which is what what's the value, right? And I think people have to to understand that there's value to doing this. First and foremost, I'm going to tell you, I think students deserve a fair shake, right? So if I'm paying money to go into a program, I want to know that I've got a reasonably good opportunity. If I apply myself, I should do well, right? I, I should get out on the other side and I should be able to do this. Um, so the accreditation process, what what's part of the value to that? Part of big value is to the student. The student is the one who is the consumer of that educational product that you and I out there in our classrooms are delivering. And when they graduate, um, they are a reflection of Dan and George going out into the community uh, and, and taking care of, and this is how I look at it as one of my mentors made me think about this some 30 years ago. How would you want that graduate of Dan or George's program to go out and take care of somebody that you love? And that you care about your mom, your daughter, your your wife, your son, your grandmother, your next door neighbor, uh, your partner on the ambulance. How would you want 
that person, if you were out there taking care of folks, how would you want how would you want that done? And I, I don't think that there's anybody, not one educator that's out there, whether you're at the AEMT level, paramedic, EMT. I don't think that there's any folk that are out there in our in our uh, atmosphere in EMS that uh, that wants to provide a bad product, right? They they just may be scared about this process because they don't understand it. And I think when you look at this and you say, well, what's the what's the value of that? It's going to benefit students. It's going to benefit your educational program because as I go in and look at your program, one of the things that we may be able to say is. You know, you could go to your boss all day long and say, hey, boss, I need more resources in this area to improve our educational process. And they may or may not listen to that. But these are peers, peers of Dan that are coming into your classroom and looking at your program for what it is and saying, hey, I, I know what you do. Right. I know the struggles that you have. But this is important for program directors as well. Uh, that, are, that are running these educational programs. I also think that you have employers that are consumers of the graduates of your program that are saying, hey, our, our, your, Dan, your graduates are well-prepared. Or in some cases, they may be saying, hey, your, your graduates are not well-prepared. What is it that we need to do to help make that program better? And maybe they just don't have a voice currently at the table. Um, and then finally, I think, as I said, the public... The public has a right to expect that that minimally competent people in their greatest time of need are going to be at their bedside to help them. And right now, I just simply say, based on based on the information that we're seeing, um, AEMTs in many places are just simply not as well prepared as they should be. I'm sure it's not a bulletin to you that there are people out there who are not fans of accreditation. But what parallels would you draw with paramedic and successes in accreditation of paramedic that you would say would go on to, to AEMT? Where, is, where do you see the benefit in paramedic accreditation? What's, what's, the, what's the outcome? Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, Dan, probably the single biggest thing is that they're passing the exam and they're able to go and get a job. They're, they're, they're going into the workforce and they're better prepared. Are there challenges with every educational program that we have across the country? Absolutely. Does that stay the same? Is it a dynamic process? I would submit to you it's dynamic. You know, program directors are going to come and go. They're going to turn over as people retire or leave or move to the next job or move up or out. Um, but, it, but at the end of the day, those students that are coming out are passing the exam. There's more people taking the National Registry exam at the paramedic level and at all levels, really taking the exam today than there were a year ago, and their success rate is higher, perhaps, than it was before accreditation. Uh, you know, I, I think that is a, that's a huge um, credit to the accreditation process. I also want to say something. You haven't mentioned it. The student minimum competencies, right? Um, that student minimum competency at the paramedic yeah. level is a tab in the self-study process, okay? It's one of many things that is assessing the quality of the paramedic educational program. You know this yourself. Right now, the, uh, the National Registry, in cooperation with us, but mostly with NASEMSA, that's the National Association of State EMS Officials. Um, basically, that's your state EMS director and your state EMS training coordinator. They have their own group. And 
those 50 states and five U.S. territories have uh, a national organization and they work collectively for the greater good of EMS and how it's delivered. And one of the things that they participated in and then released a couple months ago, actually back this last summer, was the student minimum competency document for the advanced EMT. Um, it's a great first step. There's a lot of good information uh, in that document. And as you know, at the paramedic level right now, there are certain minimums that you have to hit in each of these patient categories, right? Making sure that you see the depth and the breadth of what a paramedic would do. We're trying to do that, I think, through this, through this document, we're trying to do the same thing at the advanced EMT level. Um, and, and as I said to the Nisemso group at their conference this past summer, as well as the registry, great first step, but this is one tab in that overall assessment of, a, of an advanced EMT program. So this is where you're going to set your flag and you're going to say, hey, we're going to, these, these are the, the minimums that we believe you could accomplish in your community for, a, for an advanced EMT student to graduate. Uh, we're not measuring that right now. In fact, nobody's measuring that right now. Perhaps that's one of the reasons that students maybe are not successful or they're not feeling confident when they come out uh, into practice. If they do graduate from their program, perhaps in some cases they don't feel confident. But um, I think that advanced EMT with the student minimum competency paired up with voluntary accreditation, okay, that tab in the self-study is going to start to make more sense to that advanced EMT program director, hey, this is a process, right? These are the things that the students have to do in order to come out minimally competent on the other end, but it's just simply one thing. And I think I heard you say this earlier, and I think that came through with some of the survey results that people feel stressed about this, right? That, that they've got a lot on their plate already. And what's going to happen if I have to take on these other responsibilities? Well, what is going to happen? Hopefully what's going to happen is that your advanced EMT program is going to be better. You're going to be better. Your graduates are going to be better. Your community is going to be better served. So I think it's really about the whole process, Dan. And, and one final thing I would say is not only is this a workforce issue, but it's a portability issue. When students take that national registry exam, they have the ability to move from community to community, from state to state, because let's face it, Life's going to change. And, you know, you might be living in Maine right now, but you decide, you know, life changes. I'm going to go move across the country. I'm going to move to, I don't know, um, Texas, perhaps. Right. And you decide you're going to Texas. You're going to come to Texas <laughs> uh, and, and you're going to work as an advanced EMT here. That gives you the portability to do that right now. Um, you know, like I said, it's it's kind of fragmented. So I think the I think the registry. You know, they, 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 they take a lot of knocks. They take some hits on stuff like this. But at the end of the day, their exam is solid. It's got iterator reliability that, that exams that I would conduct in the classroom maybe not have as, as, uh, as uh, reliable. And, and I think that they've got really, really smart people working to make that exam better. Not to make it hard, but to make, make it truly a measure to determine is it safe for Dan or George to go out there and practice. So again, portability, workforce development, supporting and improving our EMS community out there. Um, and, and, 
and, and I guess what's going to happen to folks if they decide not to submit themselves to this, right? You asked me the question about kind of what's the value, but is there going to be any, you know, backlash for, you know, George who decides, hey, I'm not going to get my AEMT program voluntary, voluntarily accredited. Is there any backlash to that? No, it's not. It's voluntary. And, and states, if they decide to go through this process and make it mandatory in a state or states, that's, that's their decision to make. We're just offering up the ability for, for you to do that. Does that make sense? It's No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. There's a couple of things that I want to uh, you know, pick out from what you said. Uh, the first, dropping back the most, is that the argument that people say that accreditation makes it too hard. And if paramedic numbers of candidates have increased, I think that you have evidence that says that's not the case. Uh, the other thing that I listened to, um, you brought up the student minimum competency, which wasn't necessarily on our list, but I'm really glad you did. I looked at that uh, quite a bit. One of the things I noticed about the student minimum competency, and I, I think it's relevant for AEMT, is you go through EMT class, you go through AEMT class, then you go out and you get some IVs and maybe get a tube and you do you know certain things. You get those skills, but the student minimum competency, which according to the registry, will be decided by states, I believe, includes team leads. And I think that that might be one of the biggest things that can happen to the AEMT to move them out. And while some programs may do that, the truth is at a technician level, many times you focus on the individual skills. But if we can get someone to go through an AEMT class, have some experience as a team lead, I think that might turn out a better a better product. And a lot of programs that I'm familiar with don't do that only because of the time commitment. But I, I see that as just a really good thing to put the student minimum competency out there. As you say, it's one it's one tab. You'll with accreditation look at policy issue, look at personnel, you'll look at having a board and having, you know, just all these things. But that student minimum competency, I think, does have a little gravitas as part of the puzzle in putting it all together. Well, uh, thanks. I, I, I would agree with you. I think the team lead component in, quote, their capstone experience at the advanced EMT level, basically what you're coming down to is, would you want or is Dan ready to lead a call from start to finish at the AEMT level? Um, and right now, I honestly, I can't think of people that are measuring that on a consistent basis. So, so there's really no experience for them um, to have that, right? And it, and it doesn't mean it all has to be advanced, uh, advanced level care. Some of those uh, team leads could be at probably a basic level. And yet some of them, because of the advanced nature of what you're delivering at the patient's bedside, needs to be advanced. So again, the scope the, the, the depth and breadth of the curricula at the advanced EMT level is really what you should be measuring. So whether I'm a medical patient, whether I'm a trauma patient, whether I'm a geriatric patient, whether I'm a pediatric patient, right now, we're not drilling down to those different metrics at the advanced EMT level. And so I think, you know, that's something else that is going to be brought to bear if people submit themselves to this process on a voluntary basis. We're asking you to look deeper at yourself and how you're doing what you're doing. And I think it's going to improve their educational program. No, and it's reasonable. The, the 
SMC does say there are certain things that an AEMT clinical experience you might not get. So some simulation is available. I mean, it, it strikes me as as uh, reasonable. I think it might be a little bit more demanding for some current programs the way they do it. But I think it's really great for EMS. Um, as we as we wind down here, we have number seven, right? Um, Number six, accreditation has value to programs and the profession. Uh, I think we covered that really well. Uh, we're kind of coming back to the beginning. Uh, voluntary EMT accreditation begins of January 2025. What happens between now and then? What are the steps? Where is COA in developing the criteria and policies and procedures? Where, are we, where do we go from this point here in early November 2023 uh, to go a year and change out to January 1, 2025? It's a great question and and great way to kind of bring it all back to, to together. I would say this, a couple of things. Um, number one, the advanced AEMT level, previously called the EMT intermediate, has been in the KHEP standards since 1996, okay? So I want to I put that out there that these standards that KHEP created with, with the COA and the national EMS community has roots that go back 20 plus years. Um, so so what's, what are we going to do? Well, as I said at the beginning, the conversation is going to continue. We're going to release these survey results, okay, to the national EMS community so that people can see this is the temperature at the moment. This is what people are thinking about voluntary AEMT accreditation. We have also, um, we have uh, also finalized at the moment our interpretations of the standards Okay, so KHEP has the standards, which that's the that's sort of the the law. But we have come up with interpretations of the standards. So, if you will, um, a translation of the standards to EMS speak, and and we've included that at the AEMT level. So those interpretations and our policies and procedures, we have done a lot of work. That work culminated this last week in Oklahoma City at our board meeting. We will be releasing those interpretations and policies um, for comment. Basically, we're putting it back out there. We're going to change those policies or update those policies and interpretations only once a year, right? That's something that we've done as a result over the last three years, but partially uh, to be as transparent as possible so that program directors don't feel like we're moving the goalpost, right? We're moving, we're moving the finish line. So we're going to put those interpretations and policies out there and we're going to allow people to, to comment and we're going to bring all of that work back to our board face-to-face -face meeting in May of 2024 and basically finalize all of those materials at that point, tweak what we have to tweak, and then we will publish those for release. And if all of that goes well, then we will be prepared to launch Voluntary AEMT accreditation on January first of twenty twenty five. Um, it's 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 taken some time. I think had uh, the pandemic not happened, maybe we would have moved a little bit farther down the road a little bit quicker. But you know what? Having that pause, having that focus on other things, allowed us to come back and I believe be laser focused on the ask. Okay, the ask was not from us. And I want to make that really clear, Dan. I'm going to circle back. This was voluntary. This was asked for in that document by NHTSA, that the National EMS Scope of Practice that was published in 2019. 
it reinforces the reaffirmation in the uh, the uh, national EMS education standards. So this is not something that we're we went out looking for. It's not something that uh, that we we're forcing folks to do. But I think it's a natural a natural evolution for EMS. We're doing it at the paramedic level. I believe we can do this successfully at the advanced EMT level. And I think it's going to make EMS better. I think it's going to have uh, an effect that we'll be able to look at and really say we move the needle on this because you got nowhere to go but up in some cases from 50%. I hope it's not going to show that it's going to make things worse. I don't believe that. But it is going to take work on the part of program directors and their faculty and their medical directors and the institutions that sponsor those courses, be it an EMS agency or a fire department or a hospital or a community technical college that's out there or a private for profit school, anybody that's offering this level of, of education at the AEMT, um, I think it's an opportunity for you to show that you can improve your outcomes and you can consequently improve your educational program. So that's what I would say. We're excited about it. All right. No, I, I know. I, although people listen to this over a period of time, uh, right not long after we finish this conversation, the next week, there's a COA uh, webinar on the 2024 standards. And one of the things that I'll say is that if you go to coaemsp.org, there are very frequent webinars town halls, uh, communications with the people that you work with and for to share that information. And as you put that information out there next May, when that goes out or anything that you put out now, it's for the educators that are listening here and, and not for that matter, students that are listening to look that over and provide feedback. There's no one to blame if you, you know, except yourself if you don't put that feedback in. You're right. You know, if we're going to pump up AEMT, it's going to take a little bit more work, a little bit more time in many ways in programs. But I, I think, like I said, as a believer in AEMT, I believe that's worthwhile. But I would urge anyone listening to this podcast to make comments uh, to COA that obviously they're listened to. And if you go to COA, um, there are frequent webinars uh, and other ways to, to keep in touch that you're sharing information. So yeah, Dan, I, I, I would say that, you know, the, the thing that happened 18 months ago when the National Registry was, uh, you know, put out their resolution to, to seek, um, you know, input on whether another pathway was the way to go, the affirmation from the National EMS community uh, was, was pretty overwhelming, okay, that, that accreditation is the way to go. I, I'm not kidding myself, and you said that earlier, to believe that not everybody loves the COA or the process, and that's okay. That's okay. But I think collectively, uh, what I want the audience, your audience, to know is there's a lot of really smart people sitting around that board table. They represent the best and the brightest of EMS nationally. Those include physician organizations that intersect with our practice of EMS, and whether that's the cardiologists or the anesthesiologists or the pediatricians or the emergency medical physicians. Um, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but it, bottom line is those folks are not sitting around the table wringing their hands, thinking, thinking up ways to make things harder. They are all 
actively working to make EMS better across the country. And they really care about what's going on. I will tell you, my staff, myself, we really do care about what's going on out there. We're not trying to make things harder. We're trying to make it better. And that transparency, I think that we've gone back and we've really looked at ourselves. We've looked at ourselves hard and taken a deep dive with a, you know, with a formalized communication plan that we're working to make sure that we've got the message out. We put together a program director focus group at the paramedic level where you've got 24 people from all five regions of NASEMSO that are sitting on that panel that we're bringing information to on a frequent basis. The town halls that you mentioned, the workshops that we're conducting in person, AccreditCon, which is a conference dedicated to the accreditation process and doing deep dives on the standard. Um, all of those and a lot more stuff that I'm probably forgetting at the moment, all of those things together are trying to make EMS better, not harder and not uh, a gotcha kind of thing. That's not what the accreditation process is about. So I, I'm really excited about this opportunity. I think it is an evolution for EMS. Um, I, I think it is going to make better practitioners that go out there and take care of folks in any part of our country. And it allows the public to feel confident that those folks that are tending to them are, are well prepared. And uh, I, I just, I really appreciate the opportunity for you to allow us to share part of our message and the good news about what we're learning. So stay tuned. I hope we can have another conversation about it uh, in the months ahead. No, I'm sure there's more to say. You know, at the end of the podcast, I usually give people a chance for a last word, but I think you've already done it. You know, I think you've talked about the possibilities, what you want to do, uh, you know, the openness of COA and that encouragement uh, for people to be involved uh, and to shed that uh, that view that they have people may have of you as a gotcha organization to one that is trying to ultimately make EMS better. All right. And that brings us to the to the time limit here. Uh, I think that we could probably go on for, for even longer. Dr. George Hatch, the executive director of the Committee on Accreditation uh, of EMS programs. It's been a great episode and I'm very grateful for you being here and sharing your information. Thanks, Dan. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thanks. Same to you. Remember that we will have show notes here with some notes from Dr. Hatch and Coe, as well as I'm going to try and get these slides put up so you can really take a look and see what people think. Y'all be safe out there, and we'll see you next month with a new Seven Things. Thank you for listening to a Seven Things EMS podcast by Limmer Education. If you've listened to this podcast on a streaming service and you're interested in getting continuing education credit, please go to lc ready.com for more information.